Hello, everybody. Welcome to WRDG. Well, it's 90 to... I'm going to check with Kirk Connor, and we're going to take you through the news. Well, we're going to go ahead and go to the news anyhow. And and we're taking you to SEC Channel Free News. PFR proven that any aftermarket closing wheel is better than two solid rubbers. What do I do with these things now? You're incredible. Mail in ballots for dead people. Probably easier for dead people to submit mail in ballots than it is to vote in person. Rudy was at this stage of his life with the same ability to manage things at this level or not. And obviously, I think Bernie Carrot publicly said, said it. They never proved the allegations that they were making and they were trying to develop. Mr. Schmidt, on November 11th, 2020, President Trump tweeted about you saying, and here's a quote, a guy named Al Schmidt, a Philadelphia commissioner and so-called Republican or rhino, is being used big time by the fake news media to explain how honest things were with respect to the election in Philadelphia. He refuses to look at a mountain of corruption, dishonesty. We win. As a result of that tweet and the CNN interview you gave where you stated the dead voter claims in Pennsylvania were false, you and your staff were subjected to disturbing threats. Can you tell us about that? The threats prior to that tweet, and on some level, it feels almost silly to talk about a tweet, but we can really see the impact they have because prior to that, the threats were pretty general in nature. Corrupt election officials in Philadelphia are going to get what's coming to them. You're what the Second Amendment is for. You're walking into the lion's den, all sorts of things like that. After the president tweeted at me by name, calling me out the way that he did, um, the threats became much more specific, much more graphic, uh, and included not just me by name, uh, but included members of my family by name, their ages, our address, pictures of our home, just every bit of detail that you could imagine. That was what changed with that tweet. Behind me are redacted threats that you received that you provided to the committee. Now, we redacted portions of the text to protect your family. Mr. Schmidt, I, I think I speak for all of my colleagues when I say we are deeply sorry for what you and your loved ones have been through. And I also want to thank you for your service to your country and for standing up for the rule of law. I want to thank
thank both Mr. Pack and Mr. Schmidt for their service, their testimony, and for standing up for the rule of law. Now I'd like to uh, turn to another subject. Um, the courts in our country uh, provide a legitimate venue for campaigns to challenge what they view as irregular election practices. Now, courts have the final say in how the law applies to those challenges. We have a renowned legal expert here to address the Trump campaign's activities in court. Mr. Ginsburg, you've spent your entire career representing Republicans in election-related litigation. You served as the National Council on Republican Presidential Campaigns in 2000, in 2004, and in 2012. You played a key role in the 2000 Florida recount that led to the Supreme Court's decision in Bush v. Gore. You served as the co-chair of the Presidential Commission on Election Administration. I think it's fair to say you are the most prominent Republican lawyer who's litigated in the election field. Now you've analyzed the Trump campaign's litigation pretty uh, carefully. What's the like normal process for post-election litigation? How is the Trump campaigns different than the kinds of post-election litigation you've been involved in and know about? In the normal course of things, any campaign on the night of the election and the days after, we'll do a couple of different things. One is that they'll analyze precinct results to look for abnormalities in the results they'll send people to those precincts to ask more questions. Secondly, uh, all campaigns will have poll watchers and poll work workers and observers in the polling. So campaigns will talk uh, to those people if they saw any irregularities that could cause problems in the election. Now, the Trump campaign talked pre-election about having 50,000 poll workers. So presumably, they did have eyes on the ground in all these places. And so in the normal course of things, a campaign will analyze the reports that come in. Trump campaign had a couple of basic problems, however. Number one, the 2020 election was not close. In 2000, that was 537 close. In this election, the most narrow margin was 10,000 something in, in Arizona, and you just don't make up that, those sorts of numbers in recounts. And when the claims of fraud and irregularities uh, were made, you've heard very compelling testimony from Mr. Stepien, from Matt Morgan, from Alex Cannon about those claims and how uh, they didn't believe them. So that put the Trump campaign on sort of a process of bringing cases without the actual evidence that you have to have in which the process is designed to bring out. So are you aware of any instance in which a court found the Trump campaign's fraud claims to be credible? No, there was, there was never that instance. Uh, in all the cases that were brought, and I've looked at the more than 60 that include more than 180 counts, and no, the simple fact is that the Trump campaign did not make its case. The Select Committee has identified 62 post-election lawsuits filed by the Trump campaign and his allies. 
between November 4, 2020 and January 6, 2021. Those cases resulted in 61 losses and only a single victory, which actually didn't affect the outcome for either candidate. Despite those 61 losses, President Trump and his allies claim that the courts refused to hear them out. And as a result, they never had their day in court. Mr. Ginsburg, what do you say about the claims that Mr. Trump wasn't given an opportunity to provide the evidence they had of voter fraud? Did they have, in fact, did they have their day in court? They did have their day in court. About half of those cases that you mentioned were dismissed at the procedural stage uh, for a lack of standing, the proper people didn't bring the case, or there wasn't sufficient evidence and it got uh, dismissed on a motion to dismiss. But in the other, there was discussion of the merits that was, that was contained in the complaints. And in no instance did a court find that the charges of fraud were real. And it's also worth noting that even if the Trump campaign complained that it did not have its day in court, there had been post-election reviews in each of the six battleground states that could have made a difference. And those ranged from the somewhat farcical Cyber Ninjas case in Arizona to the Michigan Senate report that was mentioned earlier, the hand recount in Georgia, uh, the Mr. Pack address, and in each one of those instances, there was no credible evidence of fraud produced by the Trump campaign or his supporters. Thank you. you know, as Mr. Ginsburg has explained, there are no cases where the Trump campaign was able to convince a court that there was widespread fraud or irregularities in the 2020 election. Over and over, judges appointed by Democrats and Republicans alike directly rebuted this false narrative. They called out the Trump campaign's lack of evidence for its claims. And the judges did that even in cases where they could have simply thrown out the lawsuit without writing a word. You can see behind me a few excerpts from the decisions in these 62 cases. The Trump campaign's lack of evidence was criticized by judges across the political spectrum. In Pennsylvania, a Trump-appointed judge concluded, quote, charges require specific allegations and proof. We have neither here. Another Trump-appointed judge warned that if cases like these succeeded, quote, any disappointed loser in a presidential election able to hire a team of clever lawyers could flag claim deviations from election results and cast doubt on election results. The list goes on and on. Allegations are called, quote, an amalgamation of theories, conjecture, and speculation. In another, strained legal arguments without merit, unsupported by evidence, derived from wholly unreliable sources, a fundamental and obvious misreading of the Constitution. The rejection of President Trump's litigation efforts was overwhelming. 22 federal judges appointed by Republican presidents, including 10 appointed by President Trump himself, and at least 24 elected or appointed Republican state judges dismissed the president's claims. At least 11 lawyers have been referred for disciplinary proceedings 
due to bad faith and baseless efforts to undermine the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Rudy Giuliani had his license to practice law suspended in New York, and just this week, a newly filed complaint will potentially make his suspension from practicing law in D.C. permanent. And as we've just heard from perhaps the most preeminent Republican election lawyer in recent history, the Trump campaign's unprecedented effort to overturn its election laws in court was a deeply damaging abuse of the judicial process. As stated by U.S. District Court Judge David Carter, this was, quote, a coup in search of a legal theory. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. I want to thank our witnesses for joining us today. The members of the select committee may have additional questions for today's witnesses, and we ask that you respond expeditiously in writing to those questions. Without objection, members will be permitted 10 business days to submit statements for the record, including opening remarks and additional questions for the witnesses. The second panel of witnesses is now dismissed. Without objection, the chair recognizes the gentlewoman from California, Ms. Lofgren, for a closing statement. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Now that we understand the litigation efforts by President Trump and his allies, I'd like to present additional actions taken by the Trump campaign during this time. President Trump continued to push the stolen election narrative, even though he and his allies knew that their litigation efforts making the same claim had failed. It's worth pointing out that litigation uh, generally does not uh, continue past the safe harbor date of December 14th. Uh, but the fact that this litigation went on, well, that really makes more sense when you consider the Trump campaign's fundraising tactics. Because if the litigation had stopped on December 14th, there would have been no fight to defend the election and no clear path to continue to raise millions of dollars. Mr. Chairman, at this time, I'd ask for unanimous consent to include in the record a video presentation describing how President Trump used the lies he told to raise millions of dollars from the American people. These fundraising schemes were also part of the effort to, to disseminate the false claims of election fraud. Without objection, so My name is Amanda Wick, and I'm senior investigative counsel with the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. Between Election Day and January 6th, the Trump campaign sent millions of fundraising emails to Trump supporters, sometimes as many as 25 a day. The emails claimed the, quote, left-wing mob was undermining the election, implored supporters to, quote, step up to protect the integrity of the election, and encouraged them to, quote, fight back. But as the select committee has demonstrated, 
The Trump campaign knew these claims of voter fraud were false, yet they continued to barrage small dollar donors with emails, encouraging them to donate to something called the Official Election Defense Fund. The Select Committee discovered no such fund existed. I don't believe there is actually a fund called the Election Defense Fund. Did first say the Election Defense Fund was another, I think we called it a marketing tactic? Yes. And tell us about these funds' marketing tactics. Uh, just a topic matter uh, where money could potentially go to be, how money could potentially be used. The claims that the election was stolen were so successful. President Trump and his allies raised $250 million, nearly $100 million in the first week after the election. On November 9th, 2020, President Trump created a separate entity called the Save America PAC. Most of the money raised went to this newly created PAC, not to election-related litigation. The Select Committee discovered that the Save America PAC made millions of dollars of contributions to pro-Trump organizations, including $1 million to Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows' Charitable Foundation, $1 million to the America First Policy Institute, a conservative organization which employs several former Trump administration officials, $204,857 to the Trump Hotel Collection, and over $5 million to Event Strategies, Inc., the company that ran President Trump's January 6th rally on the ellipse. All of us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen by emboldened radical left Democrats, which is what they're doing. The evidence developed by the Select Committee highlights how the Trump campaign aggressively pushed false election claims to fundraise, telling supporters it would be used to fight voter fraud that did not exist. The emails continued through January 6th, even as President Trump spoke on the emails. fundraising is part of that. Small dollar donors use scarce disposable income to support candidates and causes of their choosing to make their voices heard. And those donors deserve the truth about what those funds will be used for. Throughout the committee's investigation, we found evidence that the Trump campaign and its surrogates misled donors as to where their funds would go and what they would be used for. So not only was there the big lie, there was the big ripoff. Donors deserve to know where their funds are really going. They deserve better than what President Trump and his team did. Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Without objection, the chair recognizes the gentlewoman from Wyoming, Ms. Cheney, for a closing statement. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, I would uh, like to thank all of our witnesses today. Uh, and I'd also like to, uh, in particular, wish Mr. Stepien and, and his family uh, all the best uh, on the arrival of, of a new baby. Today's hearing, Mr. Chairman, was very narrowly focused. In the coming days, you will see the committee move on to President Trump's broader planning for January 6th, including his plan to corrupt the Department of Justice and his detailed planning with lawyer John Eastman pressure the vice president, state legislatures, state officials, and others to overturn the election. Let me leave you today with one clip 
preview what you will see in one of our hearings to come. This is the testimony of White House lawyer Eric Hirschman. John Eastman called Mr. Hirschman the day after January 6th, and here is how that conversation went. I said to him, are you out of your fucking mind? I said, I, said, I only want to hear two words coming out of your mouth from now on. Orderly Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. At the conclusion of last week's hearing, we showed you a video of rioters explaining why they had come to Washington on January 6th. It was because Donald Trump told them to be here. Today, we heard about some of the lies Donald Trump embraced and amplified when it became clear he didn't have the numbers of votes to win the election. We heard about how officials at different levels of government explored claims of fraud and found no evidence. Yet the former president continued to repeat those false claims over and over again. Today, we'll end things where we did on Thursday, back on January 6th, hearing words of individuals who wanted to stop the transfer of power. We know they were there because of Donald Trump now we hear some of the things they believed. Without objection, I enter into the record a video presentation. I know exactly what's going on right now. Big election. He thinks they're going to fucking shoot us out of our vote and put John in this fucking Biden in office. It ain't fucking happening today, but. Yes, sir. Voted early. Went well, except for uh, the. Can't, can't really trust the software. Dominion software all over. We voted, and right in the top right-hand corner of the Dominion voting machine that we use, there was a Wi-Fi symbol with five bars. So that most definitely connected to the internet, without a doubt. So they stole that from us twice. We're not doing it anymore. We're not taking it anymore. So we're standing up. We're here. And whatever happens, we're not laying down again.
we see that the next one will be Wednesday at 10 o'clock in the morning and then Thursday at 1 p.m. Again, these are all Eastern Standard Time. So we wanted to make sure to pass that information along to you if you're plan planning on uh, tuning in there. All right, we appreciate you for joining us here on Local News Live and uh, choosing us to watch the January 6th hearings. We will continue following this story and we'll be streaming this for all of our great television stations across the country this coming Wednesday. All right, I'm gonna flash up this one more time so you know when you can expect to see the next two hearings. And all of our great television stations have recaps on their websites provided to us by the Associated Press. So be sure to go to those websites to check it out. Again, thank you so much for joining us here on Local News Live. We hope you have a great day. Okay. And Okay, now we're back. And we're going to check with our weather. And after our weather, we're going to play a little bit of... Uh, Wrestling. Okay, here's our weather. And I'll ask them again. Get Kurt to work.
If I can get her to work. What? Well, we be back. We be back after this magic. And we be back after this magic.